Well, how are we doing this morning? We doing well? I'm feeling particularly well, maybe because I root for the right team for this in the state of Michigan. That's all I'm going to say about this, because I know I'm in, I'm in mixed company and I'm going to get in trouble. So that's, that's it. That's all I'm going to say about that. All right. Hey, we got a business meeting this week, 6.30 here. If you want to find out what's going on around here, around Shores, you can come to that. Hey, Trunk and Treat is an outreach. We present the gospel at this. We're not just giving out candy to kids who don't need more candy, okay? We actually set up a booth. Uh, Scott Dumont, our, our evangelist, sets up a booth and presents the gospel. So people go, trunk, 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 Jesus, <laughs> Trunk, trunk, trunk. And it, it's powerful. Like last year, we, we had a couple thousand people come through, and they heard about Jesus Christ because they went right by that booth. It was like they thought, oh, I guess I got to stop here now, right? And, and Scott presented the gospel. It was really good. Here's the thing. We need a couple more trunks, but I need lots of candy. Please, don't send me out in my bacon costume again. I have this... I become a stick of bacon for Halloween. That's, that's my standard costume. I had to run to Walmart last year and clean off the shelves at Walmart in my bacon costume because we ran out of candy. So could you please pick up some more candy for me? For me. I know it's an ask. I know those, are, those bags are way too expensive. Thank you, Biden. Inflation. We got expensive candy now. So thank you. But... But please, can you still pick up candy for us? Yeah? Yeah? Okay. That's it. That's it. That's all I want to talk about. All right. I'm going to need you to go back into your memory banks. Okay? Some of you, by the look of you, you got to go way back. Way back. I know there's teens in the room. We're going to enter your world right now. Back to middle school. Specifically, a middle school dance. Out of curiosity, how many of you were like allowed to go to middle school dances and went? Raise your hand. Own it, you sinner. Raise your hand. You went to those. How many of you were not allowed to go to middle school dances? All right. Career Christians, right here. (laughs) Career Christians. Parents raised them right. Fortunately, I, I, I I went to middle school dances and I was an early 90s kid, so we listened to MC Hammer, Salt and Pepper. Boys to Men, Vanilla Ice, we got jiggy with it, with Fresh Prince, that was our music, okay? And actually, the 90s are back, so you might even know who I'm talking about, people. Yeah, so, when you walk into that cafeteria, which is what the dance is, right? It's just a converted cafeteria into a dance hall, whatever. It's, it's a picture of middle school awkwardness, amen? Because all the girls are out on the dance floor having fun. And where are all the boys? They're alongside the wall, <laughs> just like just like trying not to look at what's happening on that dance floor, except for one really self-confident boy that's out there dancing with the girls. There was always one who actually had moves and were out there dancing. And then, then that DJ, of course, the DJ, has to play a slow song, and all the kids are going steady, would couple up and do that, that, that really clumsy shuffle, you know, the middle school dance shuffle. This is how I still dance at weddings, right here. 
Never graduated out of the, the middle school shuffle. But all the single boys, what happened to them? Left alongside that wall. I was a chubby little middle schooler, so I never really had a girlfriend in middle school. Still went to the dead. Don't, don't, don't give me that. I'm not looking for pity. I have a point to this, all right? Except for one time. One time at one of these dances, a girl came up to me, and I think it was a pity ass because she was kind of attractive and somewhat popular, and she walked up to me and was like, Nate, do you want to dance? And I was like, <laughs> I was like, no way. I am not going out and dancing with this girl. And she was like, oh, okay. So then she went to the next guy, and then they went dance. And then this wave of emotion came over me. I was like, yes, a girl noticed me. I was like, that was amazing that that girl thought of me and asked me to dance. See, the reality is it's always nice to be asked. Amen? Okay, so we're in the final message on this fine tell bring. And the thought I want us to have in our heads is that as we're talking to people about Jesus Christ, as we're finding that lost person that God's laid on our heart, and as we're, we're telling them what we know about Jesus, which you don't have to know a lot, whatever you know about Jesus in the gospel, you're sharing it, when you're thinking of bringing them to church, bring them to a church setting like maybe a, a home group or, or Bible study or a men's event or a women's event, when you're thinking about inviting them to something, you got to have in your head, it's always nice to be asked. Now, I know we're going to face persecution. And I know there are going to be times, and maybe it, it's kind of ramping up, where you might ask a person, hey, would you like to come to church with me? And they would be like, no, you jerk. Why would you even think to ask me? I know there's some people who might be like that, but the majority of people are going to be like, you know what? Either thank you or no thank you. But they're going to walk away thinking, wow, that person cared enough to ask me, thought of me, and asked me to come. It's always nice to be asked. So let's be asking and inviting constantly. Everyone we meet, why not, right? Why not? And so that's what I want to talk about this morning, bringing people to Jesus, bringing people to church settings, settings where you can meet Jesus, right? And last week, we talked about the Samaritan woman. The, the week before that, we talked about Andrew. And the pattern we saw in the scriptures is that you have a person have an encounter with Jesus Christ, and then their life is transformed, and the first thing that they want to do then is go find the people that they love, the people that they know, like Andrew found Simon, and the Samaritan woman went to the Samaritan town and share what just happened. I mean, Andrew only spent an afternoon, an evening with Jesus, and he couldn't help but go to Simon and say, listen, I just met, had an encounter with the Christ, the Messiah. You need to meet him too. And then bring him, bring him to meet Jesus. That's the pattern. Find, tell, bring. And the, and the person I want to look at this morning is Philip. So if you have a Bible, why don't you open it up to John chapter 1 with me. John chapter 1. And we're going to take a look at Philip. He's one of the disciples, one of the apostles. And I want to show you what happened in this man's life. How God worked through his life. So we're going to move around a little bit. We're going to start in John chapter 1, and then we're going to move to John chapter 12, and then into Acts. So I want to hear those pages rustling, okay? 
John chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, we provide one for you. It's in the chair in front of you. And that's the page number to our chair Bibles. Verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Now Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida, which is a, which is a fishing town. So th- this guy's most likely a fisherman. We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law. Okay, whoa, I skipped something. Philip, now look at verse 45 with me. So Philip has this, this encounter with Christ. Then Philip found Nathanael. So, so there's our pattern again. Person meets Jesus, and then what does that person do next? Goes and finds somebody else. Finds Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So he tells him what he knows. And that's what he knows. He's from the town of Nazareth, which fulfills prophecy, by the way. And then Nathanael says, Nazareth? Can anything good come from that place? Like, like if I was writing the Bible, I'd say Columbus. Does anything good come out of Columbus? Right? It's a terrible, terrible place. Sending nuclear code signals to, to Russia. Hit that place first, right? Of all places in America, take that place out first. Okay, that's just a joke. You guys are way over the top, people. Please, just have a little fun. Nathaniel obviously doesn't believe Nazareth is a place that a prophet could come from. But then look at what Philip says. It's for, verse 46. Come and see, says Philip. And that's the idea of bring. He says, Philip, come with me then. Come with me. Come meet this guy. Come see that Jesus is God. He is the Son of God. He is the Savior of the world. Come and see. Nathaniel goes and meets Jesus, and Jesus, through his omniscience, empowered by the Holy Spirit, because he's incarnate Jesus, the Holy Spirit empowers him to tell Nathaniel something that no one could possibly know. And Nathaniel goes, Whoa, 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 wait, you're the guy, right? You're the Messiah, you're the promised one. And Nathaniel believes, because he has this encounter with Jesus too. And that's fine, tell, bring. That's the steps of outreach. Find someone who needs to hear, tell them what you know, and bring them to Jesus. But I, I want to move from here because at this point, Philip and Andrew and the Samaritan woman, they can actually bring this person or the town to a physical Jesus standing there. And then they're like, okay, here, meet Jesus, and then Jesus does the rest. But now what Jesus is going to teach in John chapter 12, so if, would you just mind rustling with me? Come on. Flip those pages to John chapter 12. You see some teaching and an explanation by Jesus of what's going to happen next. So at this point, you can just bring this person or these people to Jesus himself. But is it always going to be that way? He's going to teach on that. Verse 20. So John chapter 12, verse 20. Now, there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival, and they came to Philip who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Okay, there's the pattern, right? We want to talk to Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew, and Andrew and Philip, in turn, went to Jesus, and then Jesus launches into this explanation 
of what's going to happen post-death resurrection. But obviously, they don't know that. So he's teaching here. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. So in the Scriptures, Jesus' glorification is what? To be lifted high or to be hung on the cross or hung on the tree, right? That's the language they use in the Scriptures. So his glorification is going to, d- to die on the cross. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. You see, here's his point. When you, when you have a seed and you plant it in the ground, the seed essentially dies to its present physical form, right? Dies to its present physical form to lead to a, a plant that leads to a crop that leads to a harvest. He's saying, unless I die, unless I die to this, how I am right now and be raised up as the Savior of the world, right? Dying on the cross. Forgive us of our sins. He died in your place so that we can receive mercy and forgiveness. Unless that happens, there won't be a harvest. He goes on to explain, anyone who loves their life will lose it. And that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. To follow Jesus is a sacrifice. We give of ourselves to follow. Now my soul is troubled. Look at verse 27. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. So he knows that a time is coming where he's going to experience all of this suffering. And that, that's, that wasn't fun. <laughs> Amen? And he, doesn't, he knows what he's going to experience as he takes on the sin of, his, of, of the world on himself and, and the wrath of God on himself. But then he says, no, it is for this very reason I came to this hour, and now we see the purpose and mission of Jesus Christ. He lived and came and ministered to die on the cross. And by Him dying on the cross, we can receive forgiveness. And by His resurrection, we know He is God and we can have new life. And by His ascension, we get to experience the power of the Holy Spirit. You with me? This is crucial. This is important. After Jesus ascended into heaven, or before Jesus, excuse me, ascended into heaven, he said this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He's saying, I got to get out of here so that the Holy Spirit will come and then I will be everywhere and nothing can stop the spread of the gospel. Nothing Because the gospel is now inside of you. So wherever you go, you bring the gospel with you. That's incredible, isn't it? Man, I look at this church, and you know what I see? I see so many people who have this incredible power, this incredible treasure inside of them. They not only have the words of hope, the gospel of Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit in you. The collective influence of this group to change a community, it's astounding. It's, it's like I, 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 it makes me speechless, I guess. I don't know. I mean, it just, it's so powerful to think what a group would, could be like if we're mobilized for the gospel. It's only because he dies, he raises from the dead, 
Jesus ascends into heaven, then sends the Holy Spirit. And I want to show you the outworking of the Holy Spirit sent on His people. Look at Acts chapter 12 with me. So this is the last place I'm going to make you move. Acts chapter 12. I want to, oh, sorry, Acts chapter 8. Goof that up in the first service too. Acts chapter 8. I want to show you that because the end result of the Holy Spirit being sent on Philip and Philip experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit. What Acts chapter 1 verse 8 was teaching. Now look at verse 26 with me. So Acts chapter 8 verse 26. Now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Oh my. <laughs> we know this area, don't we? It's kind of in the news a lot right now, right? We know exactly where he's going. And now Philip, being filled by the Holy Spirit, being empowered by the Holy Spirit, he starts out, and there he meets an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury of Candake, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. And the man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet that Danny read from, Isaiah chapter 53. And the Spirit told Philip, go to the chariot and stay near it. And I love reading this passage because this is just like God. This is how God works. You have Philip listening to the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, being influenced by the Holy Spirit, oozing the Holy Spirit. God directs and leads him to the right place at the right time to have the Ethiopian eunuch coming by in his chariot Reading from Isaiah 53, you know what I call this? I call this a slam dunk for the gospel. This is like a softball lob for the gospel that God is setting up here. All, all orchestrated by the Holy Spirit, right? Then Philip ran up to the chariot, heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet, and asked this really good question. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked? Knows he's reading from Isaiah 53, that passage that really is a prediction of Jesus, the suffering servant, a man who will die for our sins. And he says, how can I, this is the eunuch, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And this is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before his shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Isn't that amazing? I mean, that, that was perfectly set up to present the gospel. Now, did Philip do this? Did he manufacture this? No, it, it was all God led him to where he needed to stand, placed the Ethiopian eunuch in the right place. Ethiopian eunuch has on his heart to be reading this passage. Philip then asks the right question, and then Philip steps in and presents the gospel. It, this is more the acts of the Holy Spirit than the acts of Philip here. Amen? And you know the cool thing? And any history buffs here? Anyone interested in history, like history? Some of you? I know, there's some nerds out there. That's cool. Just own it. I love history too. The Ethiopian eunuch goes down into this, this area of the upper Nile, Red Sea area, 
And he influences the kingdom of Axum. It's the Axumite kingdom. And a Smithsonian just did a large article about this kingdom. They were one of the first kingdoms to claim Christ and Christianity as their national religion. This group right here. So before Constantine and the Roman Empire, you had the Axumite kingdom. They're still digging out churches way back from like the first century. And this is all coming from this Ethiopian eunuch, which is coming from Philip. Now, now Philip was just following the Holy Spirit and listening to the Holy Spirit and responding appropriately in obedience, which then leads to a whole kingdom hearing about Jesus Christ. (laughs) This is what Jesus meant. He says, I, I must die so there can be a greater harvest. And this is the evidence of it. Isn't that powerful? So I have to ask the question. Are we spirit-filled, evangelistic believers spreading the message of Christ to the world? Are we? Now, I know that there are evangelists, people who kind of carry that title. And I know there's pastors out there. And it feels like it's my job to talk to people about Jesus. Amen? But in reality, we're all evangelistic believers, which means that we're just building relationships with people, being aware of and being watchful for conversations and opportunities to share the gospel. And when those opportunities come, we share. We've built that relationship. We care about that person. And when God prompts us or leads us, we say, yeah, I'm stepping in and I'm going to say something. And maybe it's just as simple as inviting someone to church. So so let's get practical this morning. How do we become spirit-filled, evangelistic believers spreading the message of Christ to the world? How do we do this? The first one's obvious. Walk with the Holy Spirit. Like this is so important that if we miss this, then we're not operating as God would want us to operate. You don't have to to talk about Jesus Christ. You'll want to when you're filled by the Holy Spirit. Amen? You know how I thought about this? Are you okay with stupid little illustrations, object lessons? Yeah? Cool? All right. I'm like a child at heart. You know, if someone does an object lesson, I'm right there with them. So maybe this is for my benefit, not yours. I was thinking about bumping into people. And if you ever bump into a dry sponge, what's the level of impact, right? It's nothing. It's just, it's just a big, terrible, dry sponge. It's nothing, right? But now let's say you're soaked <laughs> by the Holy Spirit. Now is there a greater level of impact? Yeah, is there? (laughs) Yeah, everybody you touch and everybody around you, I was aiming for the Ohio State fan. (laughs) Oh, that's hilarious. You can throw it back up here if you want. Yeah, he's like, I don't think so. All right, you can keep it. That's all right. There, I'll give that to you. There's, there's a sponge. But it, 
And I think that's kind of how it works as being followers of Christ. And you know where it starts? It starts by just reading your Bible in the morning. It starts by just praying and having those disciplines of spending time with the Lord and developing a relationship with God. And then as you become more and more spirit-filled, it just spills out. The people you bump into, it spills over onto them. Just like that nasty wet sponge. I don't know where I found that. I think I found that. I found it in the kitchen. I've been sitting out. There's probably so much... There's so much bacteria on that sponge. I, I, I'm just kidding. I opened that this morning. So I wasn't going to do that to you. So the, it, you mark everyone you're around for the gospel. Does that make sense? Do you see how this starts? It starts with you and your relationship with God. You know, and that's what we see in the scriptures. Acts chapter 4, verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. See, these people are on fire for God. And so they can't help but talk about Jesus. Because of that inward working of the Holy Spirit on their hearts. Did I say Holy Spirit enough times? You listening? Okay. Pray now and listen to the Holy Spirit's leading. Pray and listen. Pray and listen. See, I think that prayer of just simply saying to God, you know what, I'm ready and open to spiritual conversations. That, that's what opens the door for God to start putting people in your life. And so there are people who are part of Scott Domont's evangelism class, and I actually asked permission to read this text. And I, I really want to read it because it just shows what happens when we, we start becoming bold in our prayers. So this is not texted to me, but to Scott, and then I got it from Scott, from permission. Okay, you get what I'm trying to say. Scott is a person saying, it has been astounding what has been happening with me since I started taking your class. After I started in the class, and I need to listen to this, okay, right here. I told God I'm open to connecting with people in ways that I haven't always done and willing to tell others about them. That's the prayer. You hearing it? Since then, people have been approaching me in ways that just weren't happening prior. And then he goes on to explain these different conversations he's been having with people. Essentially, what you're saying with that prayer is, I'm open and ready, God. Bring the people. And he will. It's kind of like being on a team. Yeah. Ever be on a team and have to sit the bench? Any of you? So I played football and basketball. Now, if you look at me, you think, yeah, that guy probably played football. And when I played football, I started every game. I was a big dude. Every game, freshman year all the way through my varsity, varsity years. Played every game. Basketball, <laughs> not so much. They would laugh. They'd say, You'd be a, you're like a lineman on the basketball court. You don't belong out here, man. And I'd barely get garbage time every once in a while. So I sat at the bench. I know what it's like to sit at the bench. I also know what it's like to play in the game. And the reality is, is when you pray this prayer, God never has people sit the bench. Never. He always, he's always using you for his glory. It's powerful. Okay, so pray. And then listen to the Holy Spirit's leading. 
So if you're praying that prayer and now God's bringing people into your life, well, now just be aware of it and listen. Listen to his promptings and then ask the question, why not? Why not say something? Say something about God. What what Scott's been saying to to this group, and I I think it's great, is just to ask the simple question, how are you? So let's say you're in a conversation with somebody, somebody you know or just not maybe a random person, could be a random person, we never know how God will work. And God just lays on your heart to say something or talk to that person or make that conversation a little bit more deeper than, than talking about the weather or something. And so you just say, hey, how are you? And now that person might be like, oh, good, 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 and walk on. You're like, okay, maybe there's not an opening. Or that person could just dump on you. Has that ever happened? Well, there's your, there's your door in. Hey, how are you? Oh, and you're like, okay, let's, let's talk. See, just following the prompting and following the leading of the Holy Spirit. Again, who's doing the work? Holy Spirit. This is the exercise of the Holy Spirit drawing lost people to Jesus and you're part of it. That's cool. That's really, really cool. Or then invite someone to church. Or, or, or maybe even talk through the gospel. So this idea of inviting, it, again, like I was saying, it's always nice to be asked. So let's just be asking and inviting constantly. And, and often what happens is that if the person doesn't want to come, they still feel like, wow, that was really nice that you thought of me. So do it, right? Not because you have to, but because you want to. Again, this is all an overflow of the Holy Spirit. And then you could ask a question like this. Have you ever heard the gospel before, or would you want to hear it or heart it? Or you see my misspelling up there. So, or would you want to hear it? So, I... Obviously, this is, a very, this is a very thorough or deeper conversation, and, and this doesn't always happen. I, I, I'm giving you different levels of how the Holy Spirit could prompt you to respond to bring someone to Jesus Christ. But you could ask the question, have you ever heard the gospel? Would you like to hear it? And, and that person might be like, you know, I'm, I actually have heard it even referred to, and I, I would be interested. So now what do you say? I want to just take a moment. I'm going to use this dry erase board. I'm going to explain what you can possibly say quickly in a nutshell. And I actually have in your notes the ability to write this down. I've given you three circles, and I call this three circles to the gospel. I'm going to do this really quickly. It's nutshell stuff right here, okay? So three circles to the gospel. So this is something that you could say to somebody as you're explaining the good news of Jesus Christ. And honestly... I'm a visual person. Are you a visual person? I usually grab a napkin or a piece of paper and start drawing or sketching it out as I talk through this. So this is what I would do on a piece of paper. First, I write the word broken. In, the, in this circle, my left, you're right. That far right circle, I write broken. Because I say to them, this world is broken. Do you see that? Do you see it? And typically, no one fights me on that. They're like, yeah, there's a lot of brokenness in this world. I said, yeah, it's a broken world filled with broken people who keep breaking things. And any way you try to fix it doesn't work. So any way out of this brokenness, 
essentially leads back into more brokenness. So you just, there's no escape, amen? Kind of trapped. And there's it's all this emptiness and hurt and ugh. Well, how do, like, what happened? How do we get here? So then what I do is I write the word good here. And the word standard. And I say, well, God created this world good. It, it wasn't always broken. We're not a product of millions or billions of years of evolution. No, honestly, it was made good in the beginning. And then it got messed up and got broken. And this, this world has just been been ravished by a thing called, an action called sin, which is essentially a rebellion. It's turning away from God's good standard. And we're doing the opposite of what God told us to do. But God gives us a door, a way out, if we'll take it. And we could turn to Jesus, Jesus Christ, who died and rose again. And then by turning our lives over to him, he then, I use the word redeem. He redeems us. It's not a common word, but it captures this idea of taking something that's worthless and giving it new worth. I use the illustration of, of, a, of going to a garage sale. One person's garbage can become someone else's treasure. Amen? And that's, that's how God looks at it. Oh, wow. Really connected on that one, didn't I? <laughs> They're all like, yeah. I get what you're saying. <laughs> I love garage sales bunch of cheap people. Listen, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with it. Nothing wrong with it. But the idea is that you've now given something incredible worth. It didn't have any worth because the person was ready to throw it away. But then you bought it and now it's worth something. That's the idea of being redeemed by God. And then what he does by the power of his Holy Spirit is then lives victoriously in you to accomplish that good standard again. So you don't have to live defeated, broken, horrible lives. You receive forgiveness and restoration and re, just renewal of your heart. You got hope, people. That's, that's the gospel in a nutshell. Does that make sense? And that's something you can explain. I put that on your notes so that you can take a look at it. Okay. And it's, that's a simple way of talking through this. Now, it's important to ask this question, though. As we're presenting the gospel, we, we really need to ask the question, what's holding you back? Would you want to become a follower of Jesus Christ? Now, again, this is with the Holy Spirit's prompting and a developed relationship with this person. You're not a car salesman. You're not trying to do a hard sell here, okay? Sorry, I don't want to offend any car salesmen out there. I'd be careful when I say that. But you... You're, you're not trying to do a hard sell here. You're just simply asking, would you like to make this decision for Christ? Would you want this? It's important because that, that's that moment, crossroads moment for that person to say, you know what? I'm ready. I want this. And then they turn their hearts over to Jesus, right? They commit themselves to Jesus Christ. You've got to ask those questions. And that's bringing someone to Jesus. Or inviting or bringing someone to these church settings. All right, we're finishing up the series this week. We're moving on to something next, next week. I, I just want, as a, to wrap this whole series up, I want to say I'm excited to be on mission with God, accomplishing his purposes. Jesus says, I came so that I could die on the cross. I, like like a, a seed of wheat, I got planted in that ground 
so that there can be an incredible harvest. And now we get to be a part of that. And, and you see the Trinity at work. You have, the Holy Spirit's mission is to point people to Jesus. That's really, that's powerful. He's constantly working to point people to the gospel, point us to Jesus, so that we become worshipers of God. Jesus' mission is to reconcile and redeem lost people. His mission is to say, hey, I came to reveal the Father. I'm reconciling you to God. I'm showing you the Father. And the Father's love is to gather people who worship and glorify Him. And now He's pulling a people together like we're doing this morning, worshiping. And that's the mission of God. And then we get to be a part of that with Him. To see how the whole Trinity fits together? One adds to the other. It's, it's powerful. I think that's exciting. And actually... That's one of the things that just get me excited about the Christian faith. All of that stuff that we put inside of us as we study the Bible, read and pray, it comes out as we talk to people about Jesus. So let's, let's have that missionary heart. Amen? I want to pray for us and then we'll sing. Father, I know that right now, in this room, there are people who have not truly given their hearts over to Jesus. And I pray that today can be the start of their salvation story. I know, you, I know you're prompting and you're leading and you're pulling on their hearts. And so, Father, I, I, I pray right now that they'll just make that decision. They'll take that step forward and they will not hold back. They'll say, I want to know Christ. I want His forgiveness and mercy. I want, to, I want His redemption. Father, I pray for those who are following Christ that they will be Spirit-filled. I pray that the Holy Spirit may just so fill and empower them that like a wet sponge, they are just marking everybody else around them. And they're influencing people for Jesus. I pray that it just could spill over. Out of the overflow of their hearts, it could spill out and spill over into the people around them. And I just pray that we can just share the good news of Jesus Christ with everyone we meet. Just, Father, please, commission, commission, send them out. Get us outside of these four walls talking to people about Jesus. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand with us as we sing?